Can you hear me? I can. Yes. How are you? I'm doing good. How are you doing, man? I'm okay. Um, so here was the thing. I when I initially asked you if we could use Skype or or uh, FaceTime, it was because mm-hmm. I hadn't bothered to deal with Zoom at all. Yeah. So then last night I was trying to get the my computer mm-hmm. set up with like my camera and my nice microphones and things. And yeah. uh couldn't do it. So uh I had I signed up for Zoom for nothing. And yeah. then uh so today when when you were like, all right, so Skype, and I was like, I've already I've already signed, I've already committed to doing it on my goddamn laptop. We could just do it. <laughs> I was upset because when I started this podcast two months ago, I spent seven hundred dollars on all this podcasting equipment. Yeah, what'd you buy? I mean, I bought there's a little red box, it's a direct into my laptop, and then I got some microphones and some cables. And then this thing happened, and now they're just like, just get a $15 app and talk directly into that. <laughs> and you're like, I could have saved a lot of money and had the exact same experience. Do you, is the sound quality comparable? No. Oh, no, okay, it's yeah. not. Yeah. It's well, listenable, no, no. for sure. Like, yeah, but what you I mean, hear you, you pay fine. for the quality. Um, exactly. Eventually, when we get back to having people over, it's going to sound way better out of the microphone. Of course, of course. Well, here was mm-hmm. what I was dealing with last night. Was I realized that uh, that that computer I showed you, I built that mm-hmm. last year, and uh, oh. um, I didn't think I needed a webcam because I would set up my like handy cam and use it as like a four K, yeah, <laughs> type thing. <laughs> but I I didn't know how to do that. And by the time I got into figuring that out, this whole thing happened. So mm-hmm. um, all of the equipment to like webcast in high definition it's all sold out everywhere (laughs) yeah of course everyone's starting their thing i just need a little cam link to plug an hdmi cable into to it's got usb on one side and hdmi on the other and i'd be able to plug that in and just get going and i can't i can't buy it anywhere it's the only thing even like not even like a thing where like no you'll get it but it's going to take three months i haven't i haven't even looked into that because i was like three months i'm not Maybe I do invest in case this thing goes longer. I mean, what is it? A twenty-five dollar investment? No, it's 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 a little more expensive. It's between okay. like one hundred and fifty to two hundred dollars. Okay, I'm really bad at the prices, right? I don't know how these games work. Yeah, yeah. Well, with technology, it's always uh, it's always a crapshoot, anyway. Yeah, it, exactly. It literally looks like a, it looks like a thumb drive. So you go, oh well, a thumb drive. That's four dollars. <laughs> And they're like, no, it has more capability than that. Yeah, no, it's a lot like, I guess, stand-up where you're like, yeah, but it's only a microphone and a man. How much could it cost? And you're like, well, it took him 20 years to get to the skill level <laughs> Well, give yeah, you everything you need. That It, it is funny how um, I, I've given a lot of thought to that, how people value stand-up across the board as a very simplistic value system, which is, well, either it's funny or it's not funny. And I go, well, how do you value memes? Well, it's funny or it's not funny. Okay, well, how do you value the comic strip in the newspaper? Well, it's funny or it's not funny. And I'm like, you see how it's the same value system across the board? So now all of a Mm -hmm. sudden, that funny thing that your friend said at dinner for free is worth the same amount as the stand-up comedian who's making everybody laugh? How is that possible? And uh, (laughs) uh, unfortunately, we, we don't seem to be able to get over that hurdle as a a community. 
I feel like because of all the internet stars that we're getting that are trying stand-up, that that's going to eventually sway because they are all learning eventually. As I'm still going to open mics, I'm finding these people who have like half a million followers and they're very funny on the internet and they can't get dick to happen on stage. Right. Yeah. They can start to be like, oh, it's more than just, am I funny? It's can I present funny in a large meme? Well, and can I do it for people who are strangers and not people Mm -hmm. who are my fans already? Which is, which is really funny because ultimately, if you think about it, the vast majority of people who get famous doing stand-up didn't get famous doing stand-up. They got famous first doing something else. And then it just so mm-hmm. happens that they also do stand-up. Like the, the one outlier might be Brian Regan. He's the guy that stuck with it. Um, yeah. Uh, I'd say Russell Peters is a good outlier. But even yeah. even that, that wasn't in his control. It was I go further back and say Gallagher. Gallagher, of course, yeah, because he got <laughs> he got famous for for smashing watermelons. But he did stand up first. Uh, look, I'm not arguing the order. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, I, I I think it's very funny that uh, Jen Kirkman was doing stand up for years and years and years mm-hmm. on end. But then you talk to Jen Kirkman's modern day fan base and uh, Ken Jennings wrote a book called Planet Funny. And he talks to one of Jen Kirkman's fans Hmm. uh, and she was like, yeah, I just started listening to this podcast and I loved it so much. And when I went to see her do stand up, like I didn't know what it was going to be, but I was like rooting for her. And I read that and I was like, (laughs) yeah, you don't you don't need to root for her. She's she was funny before the podcast. Like she was already doing the thing like this, this notion that her fan is going to decide whether or not she's funny is incorrect. And then this notion that, well, I already liked her from the podcast. So now I'm invested in saying that, yes, she is funny. And it's like, no, no, put all of that aside. You're, you're on the outside looking in. (laughs) Jen Kirkman simultaneously has both. You don't decide anything. Well, no, see, but I was a fan of LeBron James's Instagram, and then I saw him play basketball, and I was yeah. just hoping that he could really pull it off to deserve the number. Well, listen, a lot of people think Steph Curry is a great basketball player, but his shoe sales aren't that great, so I guess he can't play ball anymore. Yeah, exactly. You know, so, that's how it goes. You're not allowed to play basketball if your shoes don't sell. That's, that <laughs> would be such a shame if that was how we measured the basketball players. That's exactly what you're saying, an opposite. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, you're really great at stand up, and the industry looks at you and goes, yeah, but what else? And you go, mm-hmm. yeah, exactly. uh, being really great at stand up. How about that? <laughs> Not worth anything. Well, yeah, it's, it's like my cousin loves, uh, was my favorite murder. Yeah. And she sees any live thing that they do that she can get her tickets for. She goes. Yeah. Karen Kilgariff and, uh, yeah, I've only seen Karen Kilgariff do stand-up. She's only seen Karen Kilgariff do podcasts. Right, right. Um, and then and then your friend is like really hoping that Carrie's, Karen's funny. And you go, no, 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 <laughs> that's not how this works. Karen was always funny. <laughs> You're yeah, new. <that's... laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, Merritt had the same problem. He talked about it openly on his podcast. Where people became fans of the podcast, and yeah. they'd see him live, and they were just like, oh, man, you you're really good. And he goes, I am 25 years into this. If I wasn't at yeah. least okay, I would have I was, stopped by now. I was good before. And you just mm-hmm. assumed that I wasn't good because you hadn't come to see me. 
Mm-hmm. It's kind of a self-fulfilled prophecy on the consumer's part that they go, well, I've never heard yeah. of them, so they must not be that good. But the way that they hear about comics isn't through stand-up comedy. So it's this huge backward misnomer. Yeah. Well, they don't see it like in music, where if you see a theater act in music, you know that they've already gone through all the other steps, even if you just discovered them. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, they don't realize, if you're seeing someone headline at a local club, they've already gone through a lot of steps to get yeah. there. They right. feel like those people are just starting. Right, yeah. Um, and then uh, if you're seeing a comedian in a theater, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, that person's already famous from something else. That, of course. That, that, that performer's already famous from television or already has billboards with their face on it. And they're like, oh, I'm going to go see this new comedian. No, you are so far behind. (laughs) This 55-year-old comedian with albums that date back for decades. Yeah. Well, that's the funny part, too, is uh, it seems like the logical thing to me. Like when I would find a comedian, I would go back and say, like, oh, what's this person made? And I would go and I'd look up their albums. I'd see if they have, like, Mm -hmm. any video online. Like, I'd be interested. Um, nothing in our modern culture works that way. Our modern Mm -hmm. culture is just, well, what have they given me lately? And so they, you know, nobody goes, nobody really scrolls backward in somebody's Instagram account unless they're looking for something specific. Nobody's, nobody's going back years. But uh, I remember, I feel like it was Jesselnik who talked about that. He said something about, you know, he would be on stage and he would make reference to his first album, Shakespeare. Mm-hmm. And the audience would be just like quiet. And then he would say something about Caligula, his second uh, release. And uh, they would, he, he even said this, he would said, and the, the crowd would kind of giggle because like Caligula is like a funny, like they know that there's some sort of deviance yeah. there. And yeah, there's like that movie too. But then he'd say thoughts and prayers and then people would clap. And it was mm-hmm. like, really? So you saw me on Netflix but nothing about you said, oh, I really love this guy. I can't wait to go buy a ticket to see this guy. But I'm not going to bother typing his name into any platform at all to see what the earlier stuff was. And the earlier stuff wasn't decades ago. It was a few years ago. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, that it's, is funny. and it's not topical. It's jokes. So it's the exact same thing that you like from him, <laughs> but it's other more stuff. Yeah. And uh, audiences don't do it. And Which is just, crazy. Because yeah. you think he would be a big enough guy where it's all burnt. Where it's like, oh, no, he can't say the old stuff. Everyone knows it. And clearly they just don't. Although as a teenager, I would buy music albums. And if I liked it, I would go back through their albums. And once I was done buying their albums, I'd read their special things and then go through those and figure out all that stuff. Huh. Although now as an adult, oh, I like them. I wonder how many Instagram followers they have. Am I on the ground floor with this or am I late to the game? Yeah, I wonder about that too. If if audience members now just disdain the idea of being late to the game. So when they look up somebody like me and they realize, oh, he's already got three albums. Oh, okay. Well, I'm not going to be special <laughs> by, by sharing this guy with my friends because this guy's been around forever. You know, um, I remember feeling special when Mitch Hedberg's album came out, Strategic Grill Locations, and the only way you could get it was to write to him on the internet and give him money, and then he would mail you a copy. That was the only way to get it. Mm -hmm. And uh, so when you would share Mitch with other people, you really had something rare. 
but now the only way to compete is to put all your stuff on all these services like Spotify and Pandora and everything like that. And then it's available to everybody. And then there's nothing special about it. So there's a billion of us assholes with tons of yeah. albums. And then the I audience know. is unimpressed. <laughs> <laughs> but also when people find out you're a standup and then they ask you, oh, do you know this standup? They never say anybody who's like up and coming. They only say the top of the mountain. Oh, yeah. I had, I had a woman like, tell me how much she loved standup. And I just asked, who do you who do you like? Because that's a very easy question. It's not, yeah. it's not combative in any way. It's not me suggesting that I know more than her. Uh, she just said mm-hmm. she really loves stand-up. I said, oh, well, who do you enjoy? And she was like, huh, stand-up, stand-up, stand-up. I like Jon Stewart. And I said, oh, you, you, you've seen John do stand-up? And she went, oh, no, not stand-up. I've just seen his little program on The Daily Show. Uh, on yeah. on the comedy network and i went the little oh, one yeah you know that that little show he doesn't do that anymore and she goes oh really oh i, I really like that and then i tried to like refocus <laughs> the conversation i was like yes but what stand-up do you like and she's like um well i don't like it too dirty and it's i good. laughed and i was like well i'm not asking you what you don't like i just want to know uh-huh. what you do like somehow this very easy opinion-based question that I'm trying not to be combative with is getting so combative because she's not able to answer this most simplistic question. And then finally she says, Oh, Ellen, I like Ellen. And I said, Oh, did you, where did you see Ellen? She was like, I saw her, her special on HBO. Now she was telling me this. And I remember where I was when she was telling me this. Uh, And uh, so the year I remember was 2014 and Ellen had not released a special since 2004. So when she says she's a big stand-up fan, the only comedian she can come up with was somebody she saw on HBO a decade ago. And yeah. I was just, I'm just like, oh yeah, you're, you're pretty, you're, you're a big comedy fan lady. Sure are. <laughs> she's really enjoying it when it's very specifically not dirty and <laughs> well, ambiguous people. You would think, oh, and this was the, this was the capper. I finally decided to just like drop the hammer. And I was like, well, you live here in Los Angeles. Where do you like to go see stand-up live? And she goes, oh, live. I've never, never seen it live. <laughs> but, but, she's oh a, God. but she willingly describes herself as a big comedy fan. She mm-hmm. has no idea. Can't name a comedian from this decade. Doesn't go see it live. Struggles to even name somebody she likes. But she's <laughs> a big stand-up fan. And that's, I think, most people. Yeah, I think it is. Because also, people... I feel like they're afraid to say it if they don't like it because they're like, yeah. oh no, I have to have a sense of humor. Everyone needs to have a good sense of humor. Right, right. And of right, course, right. as we know, people that talk to audiences, they, a lot of people don't have a good sense of humor and they don't yeah. realize that. No one, I've never met someone with the awareness to be like, oh no, I can't handle the comedy club because my sense of humor is off. Yeah. I met one woman one time who said, I have a terrible sense of humor. And then she pointed to her husband. She was like, he has to explain jokes to me all the time. And uh, I said, oh, that's very interesting. Nobody ever admits that mm-hmm. they're, they're not great when it comes to sense of humor. She says, yeah, I'm terrible at it. She said, I just think, you know, I do think that it takes a better comedian to not swear, though. So we haven't, we, we've literally gotten like three sentences into mm-hmm. a conversation where she's admitting that she is not good at this. <laughs> but now she's pushing her opinion about what good and bad are. And you go, yeah. wow, I'm, I'm just baffled by you, lady. 
<laughs> you're somehow egotistical while being humble. Incredible. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just incredible. Yeah, she's, we call that humble as fuck. Yeah. As, uh, what we've taken to be. Yeah. Yeah. Just the greatest <laughs> at being humble. Although people keep saying those things like, oh, I like cleaner comedy. But it doesn't seem like that's ever actually true when you look at the amount of clean comics that are out there. If everyone really loved clean comedy more, they'd attempt it more and they'd buy more tickets for those things. Yeah. And that's almost never the case. We know the people that are highest on the mountain because they're the most famous because they're easiest to get on television are all clean comics. Right, right. Um, But if you were going to list the top five of all time, dirty as fuck. A hundred percent. Yeah. And it happens. It takes place for adults at adult nightclubs. So being clean is not is not demanded by the audience at all. If anything, they're going to see a clean show, not because they care who the performer is, but because it's been mm-hmm. marketed as a clean show. And by the way, I've always said that those are the worst audiences because, as we know, not only is humor subjective, but the idea of clean is subjective and the idea of dirty is subjective. So if yes, you sure. get on stage in front of a crowd of people who loves dirty comedy, but you give them a few clean jokes, they will laugh just as hard. They'll mm. be like, oh, yeah, we don't care. We just like to laugh. <laughs> but if you get up in front of a clean crowd and you tell a few dirty jokes, they walk out with scowls on their face. They well, they already walk in tent forever. Like, this better be clean. They come well, in defensive and tense. Yeah, and you have no idea what their idea of clean is. Like, there's a very famous story from San Francisco when Cobb's Comedy Club was still at the cannery, and uh, Brian Regan, Brian Regan was performing there, and uh, partway into his set, uh, somebody walked out. I can't remember if it was a man or a woman, but they were. It was just them, mm-hmm. and they told the owner, "They're like, I cannot believe that you would actually build this as a clean show," and they storm out, and the owner is like, "Can't imagine what he said." And it turned out that Brian Regan said the word hell. Yep. All bets are off. Might as well start out of the club. (laughs) Um, So, yeah. I I wish someone would have sat her down right there and like, listen, you're never going to find a cleaner show than this. This is the kind (laughs) of show you can eat off of. Like, this is fine. Yeah. Yeah. Not clean enough. Comedy's not for you. Not clean enough. You should not go to anything live ever again. Very few people say, oh, I laughed so hard, but it wasn't dirty enough. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Nobody's leaving after 90 minutes of great jokes going, yeah, but it should have been dirtier. I'm pissed off now. <laughs> so I would always prefer a dirty crowd over a clean crowd. And actually, that's that's something I've kind of taken flack for on, uh, you know, when when people set up their social networking sites and whatever else we're talking back in like when YouTube was brand new, I was already aware of this clean, dirty phenomenon. So um, when it came to setting up my YouTube page and creating tags so that people would be able to find the page, I included Mm -hmm. hashtag dirty, hashtag edgy, hashtag whatever, because I knew those comedy fans would be more forgiving if I put up something clean. And Oh, for sure. Unfortunately, that also got me into trouble because some people did say, this guy's not edgy. And it's like, well, no, no, no. We're not trying to wear edgy as a badge of honor. Edgy is just the tag to kind of get you here. <laughs> you know, I'm not, I'm not decreeing that every piece of 
material is ever going to be edgy. I'm saying that I would like audience members who are interested in edgier comedy. <laughs> you mm-hmm. know, it's not a light switch. It's not on or off, edgy or not edgy. It's your brand of looking at the world is more enticing to me than if I were to go hashtag clean. Well, I would have loved to have sat down with that guy and been like, what exactly is not edgy? Because I bet it's something stupid and shallow where he was just like, well, he's not wearing a leather jacket at all, not even a little bit. <laughs> right, right. No visible well, tattoos, and he barely flips anyone off. I don't understand what sure. the problem is. Well, and he's probably watching a video that I put up in 2009, and now it's mm-hmm. 2019, and our standard of edgy has changed. <laughs> oh, dramatically. On both sides. Somebody I, else would watch something that was totally clean back then yeah. and be like, this is, I can't believe they even released this. Yeah. Despicable. So, so sit down. This is Lenny Bruce. This is the edgiest guy from 1963. What do you think? Boring. I think he's boring. That's what I hear. This guy's not edgy. And you go, I get oh, yeah. it. I get mm-hmm. it. I see. We weren't openly talking about pubic hair back then. You have to keep that in mind. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what's that painting behind you, by the way? I know there's a podcast and people can't see it, but uh, I can see it. So I want to know what it is. I have a friend in Tucson who had this in her, like she like moved her into like many apartments and had this all over the place. And I love it. I don't know. She knew the person, they bartered a haircut for this painting. And then I bartered Uh, a vacuum for this painting. I was like, if you're not going to hang it up anymore, I have a vacuum that I don't use because I had two vacuums at the time. And I love it. So it's just a weird painting that looks a little like, it looks like a colorful timber and thing. Yeah. Where they're serving martinis on the Holy Bible. It looks like a, yeah, a flapper and then like a, a Frankenstein butler, but he's blue. And uh, yeah, which that's the only reason Barb probably wouldn't put that up in her club. Yeah. Yeah. Because he's blue. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You're the first person to mention that instead of the hats. Yeah. Well, the hats, I mean, what am I going to ask about the hats? You've got hats. They hang on the wall. Yeah, That's and people are just shocked there's that many and why I would do such a thing. Well, I, I've, I feel like I've seen you in baseball caps quite often. I feel like 95% of the time I leave the house, there's a baseball cap in my head. And why is that? You know, at this point, I don't know because I take it off on stage. And so I consistently, I have so many pictures of me with hat hair on stage that I never want to share because of it. Yeah. That I got to be like, no, I should break this cycle. But also, when I leave the house in the morning, I just want to rep the Cubs, I guess. I don't – it's an easy look. Yeah, sure. Easier than maintaining hair. Uh-huh. Well, I have very, um, very straight hair, and it's very, mm-hmm. very soft. Like like if I wash my hair and condition it and get out of the shower, it'll puff up like I'm a, a, a fuzzy duck, like a duckling. Oh, that and, sounds so adorable. Yeah, it's, it's really cute. It's soft like a paintbrush. But uh, mm-hmm. the problem is if I put a hood on, like if I'm just walking the dog and it's chilly and I put my hood mm-hmm. up and I take it off, I'll have hat hair for the next like four hours. Uh, if, I, if I wear headphones, yeah. I just get a line across my head until I wash my hair. So I, I can't really wear hats because as soon as I take it off, it is a complete mess and it does not, it doesn't bounce back. Like there's mm-hmm. no getting away from it. I'm not like Jennifer Aniston where I can like take the baseball cap off and shake my luscious head of hair. And then it just goes back to, to beauty. I'm not sure Jennifer Aniston is Jennifer Aniston. Like, you know, like <laughs> it took hours of hair and makeup people to let her get to that point. Yeah. 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 When I worked on a photo shoot where Miss Piggy was, uh, the star of the photo shoot okay and she had hair and makeup people and yeah. i was like well if miss piggy can't do it 
Yeah. No, none of us can. It's plastic. If a puppet, if a puppet pig can't <laughs> maintain yeah. her own hair. Uh-huh. I know. Like I started taking pictures. I, uh, I don't know where they went and I was told I wasn't allowed to share them, but they, she has all these wigs, you know, like a black woman would, where it was just a line of these wigs and they would do it all them. And then there was like a bald Miss Piggy and they put the wigs on, mm-hmm. even though we have seen her pretty much have the same hair the whole time. And it's, it's odd that I even bring it up that uh, the, just the very concept of Jennifer Aniston removing a baseball cap, shaking mm-hmm. her head, and then her hair falls down. Like the idea that that even exists in my head is, uh, mm-hmm. is funny because we all know that's not a true thing. It would never happen. Oh, of course. Do you know about... Uh, uh, Wait, before we get too far, I remember the other reason I wear so many hats. Okay. My hair's coarse, and so okay. it sticks up goofy. Like, uh, it's called the Mexifro, as we just call it. Cause you know, half Mexican. So my hair just sticks up until it's yep. like four inches long. Sure. And so sure. after a shower, I always put a hat on to try to press it down. To tame it down. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. I grew up with a lot of, I grew up in El Paso, Texas. So I grew up with a lot of oh, see, so all half, half Latino kids who just had hair problems. <laughs> Wait, if you grew up in El Paso, did you ever see the band at the drive-in when they were up and coming? Um, I feel like I had already moved away. Okay. I feel like that's the case. Cause when, when did they really kick off? I feel like they kicked off about 10, 15 years ago. Yeah. I, yeah. Cause I moved away in 2001. So I was gone. Okay. Yeah. So they were on the verge of right off by that time. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. There's another band from El Paso called Yarbro, which is the name of a street in El Paso that everybody knows. And oh, nice. so um I, I had friends in in Austin call me and they're like, yeah, there's this new Texas band been touring around. They're from El Paso. They're called Yarbro. And I was like, oh that's very funny. Um but what I was gonna say about having that image in my head that anybody listening to this can imagine is uh, there's this philosophy um, that was brought up by, I believe the philosopher Baudrillard. And uh, there was this book called Simulacra and Simulacrum. I think I'm getting this correct. But uh, even if you, if you watch the movie, the matrix, do you know Mm -hmm. when they, they like knock on Neo's door to get like the disc or whatever. Yeah. And uh, he opens up that, he he opens up the book. That's not really a book. Mm -hmm. It's just got the discs in it, but the book he opens is simulacra and simulacrum. And uh, this philosopher talks about the idea of a copy with no original, which is a, Mm. which is a mind twist of an idea, a copy with no original. So if we were to set out to create the image of a woman Mm -hmm. taking her baseball cap off and shaking her head, we all know that's not something that happens in real life. We're copying this cliched image that was created for us by media. Mm -hmm. And then we've kept it in our head, like it's real when it was never real, but now we're creating something that was never real we're copying something that was never original. And uh, I think about that idea <laughs> all the time that we're, we're in this constant state of a copy with no original. Oh, for sure. Oh yeah. Because film's been around longer than any of us now. Yeah. And they're always trying to project what is the perfect person, the perfect woman, the perfect man. Yeah. And none of it actually represents a livable situation. Yeah. Well, and it also ties into uh the Mandela effect, which is people remembering things from their childhood that were never true. Yeah. I hate that so much. Cause I do look that up and I'm the guy that's still fighting. Like, no, they were the Berenstein bears. <laughs> right. They're like, no, they never were. They're the Berenstein bears. And you're like, yeah. how is this? Yeah. 
um, people insist that there was Jiffy peanut butter. And it was like, nope, there was Jiff peanut butter and there was Skippy peanut butter. There was no Jiffy peanut butter, <laughs> but people insist. Oh I remember. Um, I remember I looked up like 20 of them. There was like a bunch where I was just like, I can't believe, of course, Shaq never being a genie is one of them. Or was it uh, Sinbad? Sinbad, Sinbad never played never, a genie. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he was, but Shaq he was never was. Shazam, yeah, or whatever it was. Uh, and people misremembering uh, Looney Tunes as uh, uh, how to spell Looney Tunes. They forget that oh, Tunes yeah. is T U N E S because it was for Merry Melodies. Mm-hmm. But they think they remember Tiny Tunes and they're like, well, I think it's T O O N E S. But uh, yeah, they're mis- everybody collective mis- misremembering. Which is awesome. It's also maybe that's just a glitch in the matrix. If this is really a simulation, you could have just flipped that on me. Well, I wonder if it, how much it plays into um, the concept of popularity too, Mm -hmm. because we really don't understand why things get popular, but it's very tied to uh, memory and familiarity. Like, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, you're, you, you're of an age where Star Wars was probably, you know, of interest. Um, yeah, I have a whole tattoo sleeve of Star Wars. Yeah. I'm familiar with the topic, yeah. But the reason that George Lucas made Star Wars was because he wanted to do um, Flash Gordon and he couldn't mm-hmm. get the rights. Uh, but, but you and I don't have any real connection to Flash Gordon. And if we were to watch Flash Gordon, we would kind of be bored by it. But it's still the space Western. Yeah. But by the way, the guy that wrote Flash Gordon had no interest in Flash Gordon. He wanted the rights to John Carter of Mars and couldn't get it. So he made Flash Gordon. And then George Lucas made Star Wars. And then what did they do? They released John Carter of Mars. Everybody hated it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, everyone just wanted the copies. Yeah. Because at that point, it looked like it wasn't the original. Yeah, by that point, we were so familiar with it. And we were like, nah, this is nothing new to us. (laughs) And you go, but this is this is the thing that everybody copied. This is the original. And people went, yeah, we don't care. Just I did the same thing when I saw Casablanca for the first time. Oh, Someone yeah. showed it to me to be like, what a great movie this is. And I'm like, I don't know, it's pretty cliche, really. And they're yeah. like, no, no, the cliches came from this. And you're like, yeah, but I, this is the hundredth time I've seen it now. I know this is the first time it was done. Yeah, yeah. But it's the hundredth time I've seen it. Sure. I'm sure if I watch the first slam dunk of all time, it's a boring slam dunk compared to what we've done now. Well, it's it's weird too the way that um, you know media kind of enhances that because I'm I'm a little torn over the idea of I was at the Louvre a few years ago and mm-hmm. I saw the Venus de Milo and the Venus de Milo is supposed to be this amazing statue and you see it and you look around and you go but there are all sorts of marble statues that are like showing movement and things like that mm-hmm. like this isn't special. And then it's revealed like, yes, but the Venus de Milo was made a thousand years before these were. So it's, it's new. It's, it, it was a new thing when it was made. But then if you do some more research, you realize that there was this kind of uh, competition happening between France and Italy and all of the great artifacts from ancient Greece and wherever were being reclaimed by Italy and being put in their museums and Paris needed something to compete. And so they created a lot of myth and they, they basically did a propaganda thing around this thing called the Venus de Milo. And they attributed it to a sculpture, a sculptor that 
it was not his. And they just basically made a big media push to be like, this sculpture is important. And now we've all believed it since then. <laughs> that marketer is so brilliant that we still take it in. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. We're still under the idea, under this assumption that the Venus de Milo is this great piece of art. Meanwhile, there are a lot of art historians who are like, no, nah, there's really, we don't know a lot even about that statue other than what they put in the newspapers. Turns out the Louvre, the, the marketer for the Louvre is just the same as P.T. Barnum, just makes it up, <laughs> just creates <That> hype. <laughs> and good for that guy. Yeah, yeah. I hope he gets some money on that Venus de Milo stuff still. I just hope that whatever happens, we can we can market ourselves that way. <laughs> That's what I'm trying. It's like it's going to be way easier to market myself as the best than actually becoming the best. Yeah, just convince people, well, we love his podcast, so he must be a great comedian. Ryan Stout, the best. I Every conversation I've ever had with him, I've loved. Like, they're all great conversations. Couldn't be a nicer guy. Funny as hell. If you've never checked out his stand-up, by the way, you should. He's got a couple Conans you can check out on YouTube, or you could check out his three albums that he has on iTunes. He's one of the best joke writers that's in comedy today. Like, that's not even me... Like, lying because he's my friend and guest. Like, this is just literally what he is. And I want you guys to know that, and I want you to check it out. And then if you're a comic, and you want some great Ryan Stout advice, I'm going to plug another podcast. He did Earl Skakel's podcast, Inappropriate Earl, and he talked about what it takes to get from that next level, from open mic to host to middle. You know, like in... He just really breaks it down about how you got to chase it down and how this is how to do it. And he sees a lot of people be stagnant in it and then they wonder why their careers are being stagnant. And you should check out how to break that and it's inspiring and smart and funny. Yes, check out that podcast as well. Guys, i uh, going to plug myself for a second. You can follow me on all the social medias at Aaron M. Marsh. And of course... You can rate this podcast, review this podcast, subscribe to this podcast. I uh, haven't had a review in like a couple weeks, so I'm freaking out. So if somebody can review it so I can feel better about myself, because that's where I find my validation, then please do it. Guys, thank you for listening, and thank you for putting up with me. Whether I'm right or whether I'm wrong Whether I find a place in this world or never belong I've got to be me, I gotta be me What else can I be but what I am? I'll go it alone, that's how it must be I can't be right for anyone else if I'm not right for me. I've got to be free. I gotta be free. Derek, I try to do.